The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony, a news magazine show featuring human interest, in the spotlight, movers and shakers, and the news and happening that affects all of us in and out of the ACB community. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Sunday Edition. I'm your host, Anthony Corona, and I am here as always with my executive producer extraordinaire, Byron Lee. Hey. Hey, hey. How's your week been? Uh, pretty good. I actually had a, a whole week of traveling uh, out of town, so I've been staying in hotels for the last, you know, five days or so, but I'm back home and uh, ready for Sunday Edition. Nice. Well, I've got a couple of announcements before we kick off today's conversation, and I'm sure everybody who is listening knows what the topic of today's conversation is. But if you would like to join us with comments or questions for the fine panelists that I have today, please use the link. It is on the ACB community page, as well as various ACB lists. And as always, it is the same Sunday edition link. I want to remind folks that we are in the thick of In the Land of Aru, a Carcerum fan cast. Um, weekly, I am posting the updated links with all of the previous shows. We'll be airing episode, oh, is it eight? I believe it's eight this coming Tuesday at 9 p.m. Um, tomorrow, <clears throat> Black History Celebrations continue. The new director of NLS, um, Jason, and I cannot remember his last name, but um, he will be talking with the folks over at the Multicultural Affairs Committee. Um, and I'll be there streaming, so I am really looking forward to this to hearing what he's got to say and, and what changes and, and things we can expect with NLS and also celebrating a little bit of um, Black History novels and texts that are available on NLS. So really looking forward to that. A couple more announcements. Um, <laughs> Sunday edition is everywhere, and I'm really glad for that. This year convention, there is going to be, for the first time ever, a really awesome program that I am so very happy to be co-sponsoring with Guide Dog Users uh, Incorporated. You should start seeing announcements about it in the coming days. <clears throat> We're calling it Furry hyphen tales, as in wagging tales, furry tales of ACV. And for this first inaugural year, we're going to select 10 memorable, skilled professionals, aka guide dogs. And we're going to build a beautiful webpage. And, and we're going to memorialize, talk about them, celebrate their life, antics, history, etc., um, the nomin you know, the nominees will be sent to Sunday edition and GDY. There'll be a panel where we select the, the 10 that we're going to honor. And, um, the handlers will be given Porsche plaques with some cool stuff on it. And, um, there'll be testimonials and packages, pictures, all of that. And an actual program at convention. Um, and there'll be some treats for both very skilled professionals and humans alike. Um, I'm supposed to mention something else, the imperatives. So 
last week on ACB Media, Tuesday Topics, Visibilities, and Sunday Edition each took a part of leadership training. Um, that's a combined total of five hours worth of leadership material. Well, a lot of editing and <laughs> wow, 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 that's all I'm going to say. We got it down to a package of two hours and 15 minutes of the most pertinent information, a couple of fun little moments in there as well. And that will be released this week. So you can get a digest version of the leadership trainings um, so that you can build your, your platforms this year for Legislative Week. As well, there will be two or possibly three community calls this week. Check your daily schedules on the imperatives. I know there'll be a few more next week. So please look out for those. I know I'm streaming one of those as well. Just don't remember which one at the moment. And um, my last announcement, I'm actually going to turn over to Meryl Schechter. I'm so glad she's here. Um, and I'll be oh, streaming Sunday morning for that as well. <laughs> Tell us what to look forward to at the Maryland convention this year. Oh, absolutely. It's my pleasure, Anthony. Well, um, on February 25th, which is a Friday evening, we are going to have exhibits from 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern. And one of the things which I'm really interested in is they are going to be having the hymns Braille display. And also uh, they will be talking about their low vision products as well. Um, now, Saturday, oh boy, I am really excited because we are going to have, and that starts at 8.45 a.m. Um, Eastern. We're going to have some pre-convention banter with Jane Corona and Pat Sheehan, who are our master and mistress of ceremonies. And then everything is going to start at 9 a.m. And Joanne Cusick, our state president, will be having welcoming remarks. Um, one of the things that we're going to have is uh, Robin Hughes from Maryland. She is going to talk about adaptive kayaking and kayaking and, nice. uh, yeah and then um jane corona and pat sheehan will talk about horseback riding and robin will also talk about her equestrian um competitions and um in addition we, sandra will be doing the door prizes for us which is fantastic we thank her very much sandra and um the auction, oh boy, we want everybody to spend money at the auction on Saturday evening. Oh, also Friday evening, we are going to have an audio described movie, Harriet, and uh, also Joel Snyder will be talking uh, before that on the audio description project. And we need people, more people to register because if you register, you will be eligible for a door prize. If you are not registered, you can only hear it on ACB Media 8. Now, I know I'm not allowed to give Jane Corona's phone number out, unfortunately, but it is on um, ACB Conversation and Leadership. So we only have about 52 people registered. So we need more and more. The more, the merrier. Thank you. And you can't participate in the auction either unless you're registered, right? Right. right. That's right. And we all we all know how much fun the ACB auctions oh are, whether they're state or national. <laughs> and Ray level. Razor. Oh, Ray Razor is going to be the auctioneer. Nice. And Jane will be his assistant. She'll be descri uh, um, describing everything. 
Well, in case anybody out there is wondering, there is no relation between the two Coronas, but I very yeah. much like Jane, so I'm looking forward to <laughs> all of your programming. Just a quick addition to that wonderful announcement. You can go look at the list of things that are up for auction. I think mm-hmm. everybody made an effort to do their spring housekeeping early and find wonderful things. I've got my ears and eyes on a couple so there's right. going to be a fight. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, let's um let's get to the heart of why we're here on Sunday edition today. I am very ple- pleased and privileged to welcome back to Sunday edition Sandra Sermons and Pam Shaw. Sandra, Pam. Let's uh, let's unpack last night for a second before we get into the actual conversation. How much fun was Black History Trivia? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All well, right, come on now. No sour grapes. It, you, it well, was only one point. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I think um, for me, it, it initially was a bit nerve-wracking because I always when I share things I I wonder you know um because it's a different perspective um from the I'm looking from the head of it you know and, and I'm wondering are people having fun are people enjoying it but it was a labor of love and I really enjoyed um the questions doing the research in order to gain the information, um, to craft the questions. They, they were just fun. And I, one of the things, I didn't want it, everything to be easy. Like if I said, you know, the first African-American female secretary of state, automatically you'd say, you know, Condoleezza Rice. Condoleezza but Rice. Yeah. if I said, um, she's, uh, there's a person who grew up in Birmingham and she's uh, trained as a classical pianist, her second language is Russian and her name means with sweetness in Italian, con dolce. That was much fun, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, yes. Good. Let me ask ACB's first African-American intern. <laughs> Did you have fun, Miss Shaw? <laughs> Well, let's, uh, this is why I am saying that I believe my team won, okay, because I would love to have been ACB's first African-American intern, but that honor goes to Sandra, so for the record, okay, but I will tell you from the perspective of a contestant, it was a really exciting place to be because lots of times when you go to these trivia nights particularly on black history they stick with certain people and yeah. so you you know you're going to hear Martin Luther King and you're going to hear Booker T Washington and you know George Washington Carver and some of those kinds of things this one went really really deep and i liked okay. learning some things that i didn't know i liked remembering some things that i didn't know that I remembered. So I think it was good because I think one of the things I kept having everybody say sort of like, oh, I never knew that before, or oh, that's interesting. And also the questions were challenging, but again, I thought it was um, a fun evening and I'm looking forward to next year's, um, you know, Black History Quiz Night. 
So thank you. Absolutely. You know, it was it was recorded. I don't know when it's going to air again, but I'm going to put something out to Rick Morin to get, um, you know, a schedule when it's going to air again. Folks, there was a lot to be learned and it was just a lot of fun. Uh, unfortunately, you won't be able to compete with, you know, live, but you can compete with yourself and see how much you actually know and how much will surprise you. And and like Pam said, honestly, Sandra, you guys did such an amazing job going really deep with the questions. Um, there was there was a lot of learning that went on last night, and I'm 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 so proud to have been a part of it. So let's uh, let's unpack. Thanks what we're here again to talk about. for um, two blind pride. Thank you, thank you, thank you um, for the prizes, for participating, and for streaming. I really a uh, huge shout out to you all and Multicultural and ACB of Maryland. Absolutely. And there's still some more programs this week, folks. Like I said, tomorrow night, um, MCAC with, with NLS, but check the daily schedules. There's still a couple of more really good programs. Um, so yeah, let's, let's get into the conversation. And Sandra, this is, this is your Valley hook. So I'm going to, I'm going to let you take over as co-host for a little while. Oh, uh, thank you for such an honor. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Again, thank you, Anthony. Thank you for allowing us to to be on your show. And for me, um, I grew up in ACB, okay? Um, I I was an 18-year-old intern um, all those many years ago, and I'm nowhere near 18 anymore. Um, But throughout the decades, ACB has shaped my philosophy um, with respect to blindness and, and, and to some extent who I am as a person who's blind. Um, the philosophy, the culture, the, you know, all of those things I acquired through my interactions with ACB and with people in ACB, okay? And that's a good thing, absolutely for sure. But when I look around, um, and it's we're a micro microcosm of society. So we have all kinds of people in our organization. Um, but when I look around, when I look at what is lauded as history, the, the, the folks who have been celebrated um, as having made a significant contribution to the blind community, to ACB, to the disability community. I feel like um, some people have gotten some, well, races have gotten short shrift. And I mean, it's a, it's a typical issue. Uh, we have this issue in the United States um, that African-Americans and other minority groups are not given, given their due, are not, um, we're not able to really see, we're not taught the history, the contributions that we make on a daily basis and, we, and that we have made to this country since before it was founded. And it's slowly but surely 
getting to me because I want to know. I, I want to know what, I know the standard history, but how about everything else? How about everyone else? Are we being served in the same way? Are we getting the same things as everyone else is getting? And I think in order to answer that question, we have to do a better job of teaching and of understanding our history. Because it's not just a white history. It's not just a black history. It's not just an in-between history. It's multifaceted, multicultural. Why? Because all of us, all groups have made a contribution to um, who we are, who our organization, what our organization is, and hopefully where our organization is going. So in order to start off and build some perspective, um, I, am, I have invited my wonderful friend, Pam Shaw, um, to give us a little bit of history. How did multicultural, the Multicultural Committee start? Where did it start? With whom did it start? Um, so Pam, if you, could, if you could go ahead and do that, I would very much appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sandra, and thank you for the opportunity to share uh, this kind of information. One thing I want to say is where I'm going to start from is going to be the same way that many of us have been able to start in Black history. Because one of the things that happens in Black history, there's a tendency to believe that the history of our people started on a slave ship, and it really did not. Okay, it started many, many thousands of years before on the continent of Africa. I share that with you because what my what I want to say very clearly about the Multicultural Affairs Committee or any particular group that we have in ACB, often it did not start where it appears to have first started. So there were some things that happened before that that brought the committee um, into being and made it possible. One of the things we found in ACB, and some of these things happened pretty much close together and some actually even in the same year. When we would gather at convention, people naturally, not just because of programming, but sometimes programs that wasn't there, would find one another and often have informal talks and informal gatherings and just to want to get to know people to better or also to be surprised that there were people there just like them. And so I found that I would come across people, and I guess by voices or sometimes somebody else told them that the person was Black for whatever reason. And so that there was almost this natural coming together. But I will say that in that, at that particular time, several things came up. Women were beginning to gather like that, and there was programming around that. And then there was some, quote unquote, multicultural programming. Now, frankly, the, this particular movement, if one wants to call it that, came out of the membership committee. It's very important because the membership committee recognized 
that there were groups of people that needed to be brought in, that needed to be encouraged, and also recognized that training was needed for our affiliates and the states and, and um, you know, special interest affiliates in the states. So I was on the membership committee. Um, I came like everybody else, came to a convention, and I guess I caught the fever. And before I knew it, I left out of the convention, kind of, you know, all of a sudden I'm an officer in a, in a special interest affiliate and on a committee and all this kind of stuff. So I was on the membership committee. I was appointed by Leroy Saunders. And the membership committee at one of our president's meetings, at that time we did not combine the two, chose to have on their agenda how to bring into ACB um, Black people. And I was fortunate to be the presenter of that. It was very, very well received. It really was. And people had a lot of questions, a lot of excitement. We talked about even, you know, our brochures and our programming and how we greet people at meetings and where to even look for people. So that's how all of that basically began. And year after year, it grew. It actually grew, again, without a committee. It grew to having programming. Again, coming out of the membership committee, but for everyone. Subsequent to that, people, members, people who came said, we think since ACB has a committee, we think this should be a committee. We think it should be separate. It should be specific. We would like to have a committee. Let me be very, very clear. There were, let me see if I can get this right, five different groups that were part of this particular process because it was African-American, it was Asian-American, and I'm using the terms that were used at that time, okay? It was Hispanic, it was Native American, and it was Pacific Islanders. So those were the five groups that we began to talk about who came together saying, let's have a committee. We had a very receptive leadership who, because other committees were being created too, as I said, who said, let's go, put it together, tell us what you want. The president supported the creation and it happened. There's another piece of important information I think we need to talk about here today. By then, I was on the board of directors. And what we did at one of the board of directors meetings was we developed a document that detailed what the committee would do. And the board decided, rather than just accepting the report that I was giving, that would adopt it. And I remember Charlie Hodge, may he rest in peace, saying, because we want to adopt this, because this means it becomes an integral part of what we do, and including funding this committee so it can do what it can carry out its mission. So that's just Sandra and Anthony a little bit about how the committee came together. So can can we um what's what presidency was that during and and who were some of the inaugural committee members? Okay. It would have been created by Leroy Sanders, but the full implementation was in Paul Edwards administration. Okay. And um, gee, who were some of the, let's see, I know me, <laughs> I know <laughs> Cynthia uh, Towers, her name was Towers at that time. 
I'm trying to Deanna Noriega, um, Cynthia Arakawa. Some of these names you may not know, but I can remember some of these people very, very well. And I'm trying to remember. Oh, Jesus Garcia out of Florida. Wow. I, I always think it's, it, you know, from the LGBTQ perspective, I always say to, you know, our youngins, you know, you need to know, you need to know who fought, you need to know who enacted, you need to know who set up community centers, you need to know who, you know, who came before and what they did. <clears throat> so thank you for, for shouting out some of those names. <clears throat> Excuse me. Anthony, I'd like so to sorry. add one, one, one other additional fact too. Um, sure. In the earliest days, one of the major discussions was whether this should be a committee or an affiliate. That was a I was just major, gonna ask you that. <laughs> really yep. big discussion from everybody, you, you know, from everybody. What I would say is at that time, it seemed that committee was the best route to go because of how the organization was growing and how things were going at that time. So for example, at that time, um, committees were very nicely funded. So, you know, mm. I mean, we thought about how will we accomplish what we have to accomplish. And so that was one of them. But again, I think a lot of it had to do with the receptivity of the leadership. So I'm sure, you know, when we open this up for our, our, our members, our listeners to, to join the discussion, I'm sure that that's a question that's, that's probably going to come up. You know, are we still at a state where the, you know, the committee alone, or is there a potential for some sort of special interest affiliate? But we'll save that for, for the open discussion. Can you remember some of the, re I, and there has been some really great programming over the years. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I remember, I think it was not last year, two years ago when they were doing a retrospective and, and learning so much. Every, everyone knows I'm, I'm rather new in the organization, comparatively speaking, um, but I learned a lot. So what are some of the programming over the years? And this is to both of you, Pam and, and, and Sandra, some of the programming that's really stood out. I have two favorites. One was one year we actually had a speaker come from the outside to do the workshop. And the person came from, it was called the Multicultural Institute. Uh, it was in Washington, D.C. And it was very interesting, the woman who came, because she was of, I, I want to say maybe Persian descent. And it was very interesting to have her come and talk about the perspectives. And one of the things she did was to talk about stereotypes. And she also, she talked about the stereotypes that people had of her. For example, that she was bilingual, okay, that um, her, her religion would be one thing about who she was as a woman, the things she had done, and the kind of things she did, did. That was one of my favorites. And another one was one year, we asked people from representative groups of the five that I said to you to come and talk about what they were experiencing. And um, so I learned a lot uh, that day living, learning about what it was like to be a Pacific Islander and what did that really mean. I remember that particular year we had um, Michael Garrett come and talk about, he, he chose to talk about what it was like to be a blind black man participating or even watching the Million Man March. I don't know if you remember wow. that, the Million Man March. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was surprising. Jesus Garcia, for example, I didn't know this, and I admit it, 
he was explaining to us how even he is um, Cuban, and he was explaining about some of the things that happen between quote unquote white Cubans and black Cubans. I didn't even know, you know, uh, Cynthia was there because um, she is African-American, but her challenge is albinism. And so we had mm. a lot of variety that afternoon. And I think everybody was kind of learning from everybody. So those are just two that I can think of. How about you, Sandra? Um, and then there was Deanna Noriega. Um, who, you know, talked about um, what it was like growing up, you know, as a Native American, um, the reservation, her parents, her family, and, and then introducing, you know, blindness and disability into the, to the mix. And so I enjoyed that. Um, I enjoyed, I don't even remember, I think his first name was Bill. He was from Georgia, but he did a, a presentation on at that point, I had never heard of um, white privilege and, and unpacking those sorts of concepts. And so oh. that was a really good, um, that was my first introduction. Of course, I understood, I understand racism, but, you know, um, just the way that he phrased it in this whole, you know, um, what ultimately would be called um, white privilege and, and, and you know, unpacking that and, and really taking a look at what the inherent impact is um, on an ongoing basis. Um, so those, and also, I, I guess in some ways I'm kind of governed by food. So I, mm, I, enjoyed, God, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed what we used to do, which was to find a restaurant every year at convention pair members we oh, would yeah. take a different restaurant and and it was fabulous the various cuisines and everything that we you know um experienced and i mean eating soul food in chicago i'm gonna be honest i, I didn't i wasn't sure about the authenticity of it you know um mm -hmm. somehow like maybe <laughs> Um, I, I, I thought it wouldn't be as good. You know, I, I suffered from the stereotype. Okay. If it's, if it's below the Mason Dixon line, it's fabulous. If not, mm, it's shaky. Okay. Well, I was wrong. Um, <laughs> because that was some of the best food that I have ever eaten in my lifetime. So, um, all of those experiences are woven together to create the tapestry. Wouldn't you agree, Pam? Yeah, and, and I would add one other kind of event that I forgot about, but I should not have, is we started having the biggest, well-attended mixers of anybody at convention. And a lot of that was the food that we had there, but it was just the fun because one of the things that we did from the very, very beginning is establish that everyone was welcome. And so, um, although the hotel shut some of them down, but we still had a good time. So let's let's fast forward to um, let's talk about the last four years or so. And, and I'm 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 not asking for a political conversation, but I think that the world has experienced such um, rapid shifting of perceptions upheaval. <laughs> upheaval thank you um so how has it affected how has it affected 
our community in terms of of where the spirit of the multicultural affairs committee and and the feeling of folks that are not you know white or or white adjacent in in our organization well um i would say that there have been some interesting changes in the organization um if we take this year for example right there have been more black history events this year than ever i mean hands down um the variety is huge the the you know so um in that way it is very it's wonderful right um we're starting to be comfortable with the conversations that have always transpired, but haven't necessarily, and I'm speaking for me, um, I, I haven't necessarily felt super comfortable about having the conversations, like engaging everyone in the conversation. I'm starting to hear those types of conversations just being had, just transpiring anywhere. Um, and so that is fabulous. Um, starting to hear things like, you know, cultural competencies, like when, when we talk about audio description, having the cultural sensitivity, um, mm -hmm. because I tell you how many times um, I have watched an African-American movie and uh, well um, I appreciate it's a British white guy <laughs> doing the audio description I, know, I appreciate girl. the fact that there is audio description because let, let's start from there you know that that's still not necessarily a given but oh my um, and, and finally, we're starting to have this, this conversation of, okay, people come in all different shapes and sizes and colors and races and ethnicities. Okay. And it is not, you're, you're only describing what you see because as a child, the descriptions I got came with race attached. Okay. So as a result, when I want to script. Oh, okay, well, what color? You, you say something, don't you, you know? And um, so I think those are good things. Um, the atmosphere is changing, so we could have a Black History Trivia Night um, and have that be well received. We could have a virtual march where we acknowledge the the contributions that. Um, African-Americans have made to the disability movement and have that be received. And that is fabulous. It's wonderful. Um, I think though that progress is slow, conversations differ. And sometimes the, it isn't necessarily a fluid process. So it's not a okay, everybody's moving lockstep together. We're moving forward. Yeah. No, mm -mm, mm -mm. that's not how things are going. Um, and so <clears throat> for that progress, I'm very happy, but 
eh, we we need there's there's still a great deal of work that needs to be done. We we need some um, serious improvement. How about you, Pam? From your perspective, and then I have a very targeted well, question to ask. Okay. What I would say is I've seen things ramping up because one of the things that I can remember is some conversations that we had years ago, and we're still having those types of conversations. Let me give you an example. I can remember, and I'm going to take some of you way back a little bit, not too far, when Kurt Silke was head of NLS and came to speak to us at convention. And one of the things that someone raised from the audience was, about talking book narrators who were trying to sound as if they were black. And in some instances, they found it offensive. So um, he didn't say much, but when the particular talking book narrator that year talked to us, she talked about it. She talked about trying to have, um, you know, speak in dialect, as she called it, as part of the reading. So I see some things that are Back again, you know, we're still talking about them. The other point that I want to make is that I, I see, and I'm really glad about it, that ACB is getting more comfortable in the impact of things on us that go on outside of the organization. And not because I'm talking to you, Anthony, but because it's true. For example, the George Floyd movie. Okay, remember that we had three things, perfect storm, come together at once. We had a yeah. pandemic. We had racial slash civil unrest, and we had political unrest as well. And it's easy to sit, almost working in a silo, and say those things have nothing to do with us, but to see us talking about those issues as blind people, because sometimes there are they who feel like we should just be blind. You know, I mean, we got enough to worry about, just be blind and understanding that we are impacted too and being more vocal um, and more op open. But at the same time, what I think these things show us is that there still is much work to do. So if, you know, if either one of you wants to unpack this a little later on, um, that will be fine. But I thought as we go to open this conversation up and, and here, as well, um, there's a question that I have heard asked, and my advocacy, my advocacy goes back, you know, to high school. Um, but mostly, you know, until I until I lost my sight myself, it was part of the LGBTQ, um, you know, large advocacy movements, uh, as well as I was very passionate and still am for autism research study and and the fact that you know no one no two autistic children can be taught this, you know, are the same. So the advocacy around that is, is so strong because there's just so much that needs to be done. But the question that I have been asked <laughs> in so many different arenas, I found, I heard last year, a couple of times, but really all, all through this month and last month when we first um, initiated the George Floyd documentary in the conversation. And again, kudos to Sai and all of the team who wanted to make sure that when it became audio described, it was fully done by blind folks. So I just want to remind that again. But the question that's been asked is, how can I be an, a, an effective ally or versions of that? And we, get, we hear that in BPI all the time. So, you know, I think a lot of people want 
to have these conversations and don't know where to start. And I really think that that question right there is a great way to start. How can I be an effective ally? Yeah, I'm going to go for it. Thank you. Yeah, I was giving it to you. Okay. I think there are several ways to think about this, and some of them are just basic human behavior, but I'm going to try to make them specific. First of all, I notice for a lot of my friends and family members, uh, regardless of their particular ethnicity, there is a level of discomfort even talking about these kinds of things. And so one of the first things that needs to happen is, as I like to say to people, sometimes you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Amen. That willingness to, you know, to step outside of your comfort zone. The second thing I like to encourage people to do is ask questions. Because so often, and and we've been in environments where we thought if we asked a question, we were going to be thought ignorant, or I've had friends say to me, I don't want to speak up when I'm in certain groups because people in my office will think I'm a racist, you know, that kind of thing. And so I think really asking questions, honest questions. I, for one, am not offended by the questions, okay, because I get it. I get it. And I sometimes have questions too. I have, I mean, you know, we have people in my family that I've had to go and ask questions. How do you feel about something? What is your life like? Or especially when I hear some of these terms, you know, saying to people, what is this critical race theory? And, you know, all these things that we hear about. So the other one, and and the third thing, and they both go together, is when you have an opportunity to do these things, do them. When we have these calls, come on, you, you know, come on board. Let's go ahead and do it. And I guess there's a fourth, but I consider it part of the third, is remember that we're all responsible for speaking up and where we can affect change, taking action. So I know when someone is being um, mistreated. I don't care who they are. When they're being mistreated, I may not be able to play the same type of a role or certain role, but there's something I can do. Maybe it's just a simple phone call but I'll do whatever I can take. Those are my thoughts on how people become Alice. But, and also Anthony, that's why I want to thank you for this kind of call, because this is one of those types of opportunities. Thanks. That's me. You know, I want to share a funny anecdote for a second. Um, Way, way, way back in college. I don't know if it was my first or second year. um, You know, I was with a a group of friends and we would go out every Thursday after class. And for a couple of weeks, you know, I had heard this term, my kitchen, my kitchen. <laughs> but it, it just, it made no sense in, in the context <laughs> of the conversation. And so I, I was uncomfortable because I didn't know what kind of reaction I would get if I, if I asked the question. And, and finally, you know, I blurted out, I'm like, okay, I don't get it. What, what does your kitchen have to do with your hair? <laughs> and, and I'm putting it out that way because I, I felt like okay if I make it funny even if I'm not supposed to ask that question but that led into when I subsequently found out what the kitchen was um but it led into such a conversation of you know what we know about each other what we don't know about each other what what's okay to ask and how it was just it was one of those it, we, it went on to like two or three o'clock in the morning so I just I wanted to share that anecdote um, Sandra, 
And that speaks to, yes, that speaks to, that speaks to, you know, breaking down, being unafraid to look, I don't know. I'm not sure what that is. Let me, and I don't want to assume. So what is it? You know what I'm saying? Having those kinds of conversations and, you know, laughing through them, but that conversation is you demonstrated, you know, it, it ended up um, facilitating some understanding and you probably asked a bunch of other questions along with it, but you broke down that initial fear of asking questions in the first place. So it's the same, um, some of, for me, you know, um, I have allowed some of my um, friends who are blind and white um, to touch my head the way that I, because in order we see with our hands so in order for us to know how people wear their hair we have to be in someone's space right and and as we grow older we're not necessarily as comfortable doing that so you know when conversations have come well you know how okay i get that your hair is your the texture of your hair is different but what does that mean really i i can intellectualize but i and, and you know um just breaking down those barriers. It's like, okay, as Pam said, um, don't be afraid to ask the question, but then be respectful and try to listen. Um, not just hear, but listen to the answer. Um, and, yeah. and keep asking the questions. And if the person you're asking doesn't receive it well, don't let that be a one and done. Ask someone yes. else. Okay. Uh -huh. and, yeah. And I would add to that. I think part of the reason why we have to ask the questions, because what most people know about people from other ethnic groups, however one defines that, is the, what the media presents. Mm -hmm. And so if all you've gotten is, um, you know, what a black family is like from certain shows. It's it's natural, I think, to presume that that's the way it is. And and I think that's the other reason why we have to ask the questions, because we are still bombarded, you know, by these images of what it's like. And then it also opens up that door to the reality that not everyone is alike. You know, and so I can't say to you, and, and this is one that, that I get a lot is, okay, why is it okay for some some people to use the N-word and other people who don't? And then um, is it a double standard or something like that? That's a frequent discussion in, in my uh -huh. world. And what I try to tell people, everybody does not use language alike, okay? I have um, <laughs> a friend of mine, and he's... He he uses a lot of um, Yiddish terms, okay? And so I have to ask him, now, is that a good word or a bad word? You, you know what I'm saying? Oh, it, and, and, and also the, <laughs> yeah. other, and the other thing I have to accept is in, in a culture, certain things are not my word to say. It just isn't. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm going to sidebar for just a moment because my other project, BPI, a.k.a. Pride Connection, is in the middle of a, a, a series of conversations about identity, about language, about, mm -hmm. you know, and, and there are some words, the F word, the D word, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. that my, my community, we want those words back. We're, we're taking those words back. Um, because we're tired of it being used 
against us at us or mm-hmm. you know so please go check out pride connection as well the last three and the, the, the episode coming on tuesday is all about language it is it is a really great set of conversations. So as we transition and open up to our members, our listeners, what um, it's important to listen. It's important to hear what they want to talk about. Um, what do you want to ask of them to share? And what do you want to hear from, from, our, from our callers? And I'm going to ask you both because you might have separate perspectives. Sandra, you go first. Well, I am interested in hearing um, from their perspective, what, uh, how um, comfortable do people feel having these sorts of candid conversations? Um, How well do Mm. you think ACB is doing? How well... Is, is this a top-down effort? Is it a bottoms-up effort? Is it somewhere in between? And what, um, what, what are people's thoughts on um, how it should continue, if it should continue? Yeah. Pam? Yeah, I want to um, encourage people who speak this afternoon, first and foremost, to be authentic. Be you. To know that here this afternoon, this is a welcoming environment, this is a respectful environment, this is a listening environment, and I want you to feel as you speak to not be fearful of judgment. Right. And it's intentional as well. It's intent, we we are being intentional about um, ensuring ensuring that this this conversation where you are welcome we, we truly want to hear from you, whatever be your authentic self and, and tell us how you're really feeling. So Byron, as you go to, to um, address the first set of hands, um, I want to remind folks that you can find the link to Sunday edition all over the place, but the Facebook community group is probably the easiest and it's always the same link. So you can join us. And if you're listening to this in the podcast version and you have comments, questions, anything, Sunday edition has a brand new email. It is Sunday edition AC. Um, I should have put the B and I thought about that afterwards, but oh, well. Sunday edition AC is in Anthony Corona at gmail.com. And I will forward questions, comments. I will, if I don't have the answer and you're asking me directly, I will forward it to someone who does. Sandra Pam, I know that they would welcome, you know, any feedback that is not live today that comes through email. So again, it is Sunday edition AC at gmail. If you'd like to join this conversation um, from the podcast. All right, Byron. Who do we have up first? All right. Uh, coming up first, we have Chris. Chris, go ahead and uh, unmute and ask your question. You, you're talking about me? I'm not sure. Yep. Chris Bell? Yeah, yep. that's Bell. you. Welcome yep. back, hey, Mr. Chris. Bell. Hey, lady. <laughs> uh, so I'm interested um, whether you think, Sandra, <coughs> I'm sorry, uh, whether you guys think... Um, should do some advocacy, uh, joint advocacy with uh, Black Lives Matter or uh, voting rights uh, for everybody, the restrictions that are happening. 
um, whether you think those are things that ACB should become involved with. I know in, when I was in Minnesota, um, I testified uh, on behalf of ACB of Minnesota in favor of a bill that was being pursued by the Welfare Rights Organization in Minnesota by trying to get an increase in the monthly benefit that the state offered, which hadn't been raised for 25 years. <clears throat> and, you know, people say, well, why, why are you talking about that? I said, well, <laughs> because it's wrong. Uh, and I just wondered, do you think we should spread our advocacy efforts um, beyond, sometimes beyond blindness or even beyond disability? And I'll mute myself. Thank you. Thank you. That's okay. a great question. So I, I would say um, we already have. Um, we are already a member <laughs> of the SDLP, if it's my understanding. Um, and we have a history, even if it's, it, we collaborate, we have a, a history of collaboration, okay? Um, so I, we, first of all, we are American Council of the Blind, okay. But if we are members of America, where, then it's still, there's still an imp it impacts on us as well. And we, we're not just blind, you know? Some of yeah. us are African-American, some of us are women, some of us um, LGBT. I mean, and so to me, um, if, if we are, one thing doesn't define us, um, we are all of those things. Therefore, we should, to me, I, I feel like we should, especially when it comes to things like um, voters' rights, mm -hmm. um, because if 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 one group suffers, we all suffer. Okay, um, and so therefore, any kind of suppression—you know—call it voters' rights, call it yes. <clears throat> I, I personally think that we should. Now, that's just me. <laughs> But I'm going to um, I'm definitely going to jump in here because, you know, we can advocate for transportation issues, let's say, and other disability groups are advocating for something that might be different than what we're advocating for, because it works and serves their needs in the way they need their, to be served. But when it comes to voters rights, um, and this is me personally, I am not speaking for ACB, ACB leadership, I am speaking for me, not even BPI, I believe that the louder our voices and the more we hold hands with everyone in the space who's affected disability marginalized communities lgbtq we should all be singing you know singing and holding hands and marching together and making it loud pam do you have any comments before we take another hand yeah i do i think um, chris raises a very important issue on several levels one is that as sandra said we have historically been doing that um, for example, working on housing, because one of the issues I raised when I was on the board of directors was that how there were certain things we did not deal with, and we certainly did not deal with them in a way that affected certain populations. So housing became one of them. Quote, unquote, income maintenance became another. Yeah. Um, the, the other point that I would like to make is 
why particularly when it pertains to black people, this is so important? Because, and I'm going to use the example of the pandemic, because when there is disparity in black people, period, we who are people with disabilities, i.e. blind and other disabilities, we experience it at a higher rate. And so it becomes, and we have the other issues that go along with it, um, information, mm-hmm. accessibility, acce- you know, we have all Access, of that. Yep. So we've got to get in there and help those folks who are experiencing that very kind of thing. And so that's the other reason. We know, for example, that black, in mental health, black communities are suffering like everybody else, but at a higher rate. There's a disparity of service delivery. There's this disparity. And so again, if we don't get in there and say something on behalf of black blind people and also people with disabilities, again, we can still march together. Okay, but at the same time, we have to march together and not lose track of the fact that black people get special problems. One more thing I'm going to say, and I'm just going to say it. Okay, we know this even in in vocational rehabilitation. We have the facts of discrimination against black people in voc rehab. However, one of my beliefs, having been a state agency director, is that the system is so jacked up, hardly anybody's getting the best deal. That's it for me. All right, so I know that Chris, oh, go ahead, (laughs) and then Chris Bell has a follow-up, so let him go before we take another hand. Yeah, so it reminded me a long time ago of the the phrase, uh, you can't really say your end of the boat is sinking. But some sink at a faster rate. Okay, that's all I'm saying. Hey, ain't that the truth? The dinghy sinks a lot faster than a Navy ship. <laughs> Sandra, you had a comment too before we go to another uh, hand? Yes. Yes. And then even like um taking off on what Pam piggyback on what Pam's saying, right? If if you look at um diabetes, right? Yep. Now, that impacts African-Americans significantly at a higher rate than everyone else. Okay, fine. 38% then- higher of a rate. And I know that mm-hmm. because of uh, Diabetes Disability uh, uh, Awareness Month, but go Awareness on. Month. Yep. Fabulous. Yep. And then, okay, besides macular degeneration, what is the primary cause of blindness or loss of vision in older folks? That would be diabetic retinopathy. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yep. So and 38% have, is not 2 or 3%. It's not 5% no, or even 15%. High. No. That's high. high. That's right. very high. Right. Right. So, you know, another opportunity, another intersection for ACB to kind of open the door, diabetes in action, um, and get up and get moving it did that impact that's a huge impact on folks with that diabetes and a wonderful starting place if the goal is to expand the membership to african-americans absolutely let's let's invite those folks in with targeted real world responses with targeted real world actions absolutely all right byron who do we have up next all right, coming up next, we've got Jane. Jane, go ahead and unmute and ask your question. Welcome back, Jane. 
I am glad to be here, Sandra and Pam. I'm cheering for you. I want to first say about the comfort level where language is concerned. Um, but even before I say that, I am distressed by our culture's binary definitions all over the place. It's mm. never enough, in my opinion, to be white or have a fairly good education or to be a woman or to be blind. There are many pieces of our identity, and I think that many people don't know them. We need to think about age, and that changes. We need to think about class, and boy, that can change. We need to think about mm, economics, education, employment, faith, yep. gender. Gender's yep. a huge one. Every one of us needs to name the pieces of ourselves that pertain to gender and image, size, shape, all of that becomes important in having conversations with people. And I used to, for some years, I taught as an early childhood education teaching assistant. One day I was walking down the hall and I will call him Johnny walks by, goes, hey, Gene. I go, yep, and I go to give him a high five and slap him right across the face. <laughs> and he just stood there and we just hugged each other and he cried. He said, were you mad at me? I go, no, I just missed your hand. But the conversations, you got to start with whatever language you have. And Let I me ask you a question back, Pam, if you don't mind. So sure. I agree with you, but I think that there's, there's like a the pendulum continuously swings back and forth. Yeah. And, and it's that, that dreaded. I, I absolutely hate the term politically correct. Um, it's, yes. it's in vogue to now put our preferred pronouns, et cetera. Um, but at the same point in time, the pendulum's on the other side because we're not really supposed to actually have it in our conversations. We can put it on an email signature. We can introduce mm -hmm. ourselves in a Zoom meeting with those things, but we're not really actually supposed to have them in conversations. So is, in your opinion, since you, since you brought up, you know, this piece of the conversation, you know, are we too politically correct to actually um, affect change in the diversity, equity, and inclusion area? So I, before you answer, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. I, I just want to say two things. When you start with the language you have, there are some questions that over the years have become very near and dear to me. And I can always ask someone, what brings you here today? If it's a meeting or how do you want me to address Thank you? Thank you. Yes. What do you want me to call you? And the others that are in that group of what I call inclusion questions are things like, what information, if any, do you want me to get or provide to you? Or how can I, if at all, assist you? And I always add the time frame of being in the present because I know that it could change tomorrow. And, and then... I remember the first day I was talking to someone and I used a term. Um, I used the term blackmail. And they said, Jane, how do you think that makes me feel if black has such a negative impact? And I go, oh, shoot. 
And we talked about that and we talked about a lot of other words that our language offers that are so full of judgment and they need to, they need to clear out that garbage. Anyway, I'm done. Yeah. Well, a couple of things. First of all, you might recall that when we were having the discussion about becoming an ally, one of the points in there was to ask the question. Because if you go in with assumption in any area, you're more likely to stumble and offend. For example, uh-huh. even as a blind person, I prefer for people to ask me certain things. Don't assume that I automatically need your assistance. or And if I define it, accept it. So someone may go from, like you said, one extreme to the other. I don't care what you say. You know, and I've heard people say that. I don't really have a preference and things like that to someone who is very, very specific. Because if there's one principle that we always have to do, even as was said in conversations, we're going to have to start where people are. And that becomes very critical in elevating the conversation. We've got a lot of um. I spend a lot of time with my nieces and nephews, and we have a lot of slang. Well, they do. And I'll tell you, some of them, I don't even know what they're talking about, but it's slang, you know, and things, terms they get from social media and the things, the music they listen to. So I find even myself saying, what does that mean? Especially before I answer, because I can think that they meant one thing when they meant something else. Yeah, and to to parallel this again to the LGBTQ community, and and I'm sorry if anyone is offended by that, I I apologize, but this is where my advocacy comes from. Um, A a lot of times in in conversations that are adjacent to what we're having right now, you'll, you'll hear folks say, well, you know, how do I, how do I converse with someone who does not want to does not want to engage in pronoun gender, et cetera, et cetera. You're either a man or a woman, period. That's it. That's you're one or the other, pick one. And my answer to that always is, okay, you have to meet them where they are. That's what they know right now. That's what they believe right now. You, it's not your job to change that belief. It's your job to offer your perspective. If they're disrespectful about it, conversation over, there's no point. But if, (laughs) if they're, if they're having conversation and, and that's their viewpoint, you have to respect that that's their viewpoint and then try to move the conversation forward from there. If you're immediately, you're wrong, you're never going anywhere. You, you just shut the conversation down. You tell that person they're wrong and they might be in your, in your feeling, in your heart, in your judgment. They might be wrong. But if you tell them they're wrong, nothing else you say after that is ever going to be heard. All right, Sandra, any other comments before we take another hand? All right, Byron, who's up next? All right, uh, so let's see here. Uh, next we have uh, Melody. Hi, Melody. Hello. Um, I was thinking, and this is a two-parter, I guess, because Black History Month is February and because Martin Luther King's birthday celebration was in January, maybe right now, and because there have been more events so far this year that it's kind of a focus. And I was wondering if there had been consideration to maybe down the road later this year, it might kind of fade into the background, the cultural diversity and the, the focus on it. And that it may kind of become an afterthought. And that was just a, a curiosity. Stop right there. Right there. We're going to take your second question. Sandra, go girl. Answer that question. <laughs> Well, the goal is 
that black history is American history. Okay. Um, I think that somehow there's this misconception that, oh, you, you talk black history and, um, oh, that's for those guys over there. But black history is part of American history. When Charles Drew developed blood plasma and the blood bank bank, do, do we say, well, oh, that's black blood. We want no part. Or do we say that is blood, which is life-saving is what we need in order to, to live as human beings. So we, I say all of that to say every, every month needs to be Black History Month because we have made contributions to America um, and, and we will continue to be loud and proud until um, we're taught from the same history books. The history books have um, the, the contributions that we have made that you know um, African-Americans have made right alongside with the contributions that every other group has made. And until that happens, we'll just keep celebrating um, being loud, making it known, because we're Americans too. Our contributions are contributions to America. So Melody, um, I'm going to piggyback on what Sandra's saying. What you're experiencing January and February, those of us that have been part of the planning of all this have made a conscious decision that there's going to be programming in March. There's going to be programming in April. There's going to be programming in May. We don't know what the programming in May, June, July is yet, but we got stuff already planned for March and April. So it, and if you have some month ideas, has, let us know. Please, yes. <laughs> well, I'm this in the can I Melody, ahead, but I, just, I do basically have a, a question for you because I wasn't sure that I picked up on the intent. Uh, would you like to see more of this kind of programming? Oh, yes. Or, or, yes, I was okay, hoping very it would not because... be a right now thing. I love the, the um, I forget what it was that the ACB, the call that was on last week with Cache and you and Cheryl and, that I was a part of. Yes. That one was one of the mm-hmm. best. I, I had to be there for that one. I, I plan on joining local mm-hmm. NAACP and I hope they would have mm-hmm. me. Oh, I remember you mentioned it. They will. They will. They will. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And I just want to highlight something that um, we did discuss on one of the calls. Um, the the timing, obviously, that's when Martin Luther King was born, so we couldn't do anything about that. But in terms of Black History Month, when it came into being, it was first a week, okay? And then there was a, an outcry similar to this one that it go to a month. And February was chosen um, because two great people that Carter G. Woodson admired were born in February, and that was Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. So that's how it even ended up being in February in the first place. But thanks for the question. Thank you. And I, I had a second part. I wanted to do it before I get other people in. I had the medical care among the Black community, I was thinking, and any other, you know, it seems that white and a lot of times straight with no disabilities people just have a higher advantage I'm saying it as you know um 
the fact that needs are generally ignored and there's just a story locally about a woman that had to have emergency surgery and oh we have covid patients and we're not going to take care of you and then oh well yeah this needs to be taken care of now because she pushed the issue and i would hope that get up and get moving and advocacy can focus on the black blind you know and other the native american the pacific islander the needs there because it it's it's concerning to me that people would be ignored and I have been white with a whole bunch of things going on. I have no primary care because okay. I'm tired of trying. So it's, I would Amen, just think the focus can be there. And I political correctness can factor in there too. They're worried more about what terms to use than taking care of us. We go to the doctor <laughs> really? of the hospital and I'm tired of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we actually well, did in, in have an issue where, because what had happened with the coalition of black doctors, when they realized um, period, this was across the medical community, at least in our area, that there were people who could not come out and get tests and who could not come out and get vaccines. Um, that's when they started talking about going out into the community. But what we saw, believe it or not, almost immediately, that the resources were not being distributed equally so that uh -huh. people in the Black community could get them. And then when I said to them, don't forget about blind people, you know, and, and I said disabled people, anybody with a disability, but even within that realm, you know, there were still issues of who would go. And that's why we had, and they were in other cities too, the coalition of black doctors who said, don't worry about it. We will go, you know, black or white, disabled, blind, whatever, we will go. So thank you. Yes. Thank you, Melody. Byron? Okay, um, so I just kind of wanted to slip a, a, a question or a comment uh, in sure. there in between people, if that's okay. Um, it's always okay, Byron. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think uh, a lot of us, you know, went to school and we learned about racism and we learned about Martin Luther King. And, you know, we learned that being racist is, is wrong and that we should not discriminate against a people based on skin color. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, cool. I've, I've been educated. I'm not racist. I love black people. I have lots of black friends. And then things happen that wake you up and make you realize that, you know, you're not educating yourself about the plight of uh, your fellow human being. You're unaware, uh, either intentionally or unintentionally, about the struggles that happen. And, um, you know, you realize that, you know, just, just from being ignorant to these issues, you're, you're still, you know, sort of supporting the system and, and being racist. Uh, I saw a movie a couple of weeks ago with my friend Sage about these, uh, two Korean brothers and, uh, this black girl that had, um, they were, uh, the two brothers owned a shoe store uh, and they were in the middle of the uh, Rodney King uh, verdict reading, and they talked about all of the uh, all of the hate that was going on between people of color. Uh, and I had no idea, completely ignorant to that whole aspect of the struggle. And after that movie was over, I was like, wow, I still have a lot of learning to do, you know? So, um, I guess that's all I wanted to say was, you know, we have to educate ourselves when we think that we're an ally, uh, and that we've done everything we can. There's still something more to be done. You can so always do more. You can, you can always do more, but I think 
you touched on an important thing, which is your knowledge. The the okay, you recognize there are, that there are some knowledge gaps, and so that's the first thing. The first step that should be taken is understand. Okay, hey, hmm. I'm, I'm kind of ignorant in this stuff. Maybe I, what can I do about it? So I think that that's an amazing first step and, and definitely you're going in the right direction. And I, I, I like just, that Byron oh, God, brought up about the particular um, movie that he saw. I don't know the, that particular movie, but it always reminds me too, again, that even within our communities, we are all different. And I feel very strongly, at least about myself, that I'm still being educated about things about Black people and, quote, unquote, the Black experience. We're not a monolith. You, you know, we are all different. And so I find daily that there's something I said, gee, I didn't know about that or I didn't know that was going on or I didn't know that that had happened. And so I need to always stay in that posture of learning because that also helps me with listening. As I listen to people, I find I learn. So thanks for sharing that. Yes. You know, Byron, on one of our um, George Floyd calls last month, uh, something like this, something like this had been spoken about and, and a person stepped up and, and said, you know, if all you were taught was slaves, Abraham Lincoln, maybe George Washington Carver with the peanut, um, if that's all you know, then that's all you know. Once you know that that's all you know, go and find out more. And, and I, I like that. I, I, bet, I was, I yes. was sitting there and I was saying to better, myself, you do yes. better. Once you know better, Maya Angelou, I think, said, once you know better, then do better. Yeah. All right, yep. who's up next? Absolutely. All right, um, we have Peggy. Peggy, go ahead and unmute and ask your question. Good afternoon, everyone. Hey, hey welcome Peggy. back, Peggy. Welcome. Gla well, you know, long time leader of MCAC, by the way. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome back to Sunday Edition. This is this is a great session that you all are having today. As I came in, I was I was listening on uh, a lady at first before I joined here, and I was really a little disappointed to see the number of people who are actually on the call. However. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and hope that more people are actually listening on other devices because this, this is great information, this great sharing. Um, and I want to say too that, you know, I've been with MCAC since, oh gosh, 2000, 2001. I joined when Pam was president and then under uh, Jesus and then became the chair myself. One of the things that I'm noticing though, and Pam touched on this earlier, and that is that the issues that we were discussing back then, we're still discussing those same issues now. And that is not to say that there hasn't been progress because there is. And just the fact that this show is happening today is part of that progress. I've also noticed over the last oh, three or four years that there has been more outreach to MCAC. There have been more collaborations. And while we focus on what's not happening, I think sometimes we need to stop and look at what is happening and the changes that are still occur that are occurring at this point. So I, I hope that we have more conversations like this uh, in the future. But I wanted to also address one thing that I think has been really good over the years that MCAC has always done. And that is in an election year, we've always invited 
the candidates to come and have yes. an opportunity to, to meet with our group. Mm -hmm. And I know that this is an election year and I am hoping that MCAC will continue to keep that particular session uh, going because I think that has really made a difference. And one of yeah. those sessions, uh, someone asked the question earlier about things that uh, occurred in MCAC that really stand out in your mind. And my mind goes back to one of the sessions that we had that had Marlena uh, on the panel. Oh, yeah. And I always remember Marlena, and, and I loved her so much, and I, I still miss her, but I remember Marlena saying, I don't know, but I want to learn. And that has always stood out with me because I think if we all have that attitude about the things that we don't know, that if we're open-minded and we do want to learn, I think that's where we can grow. And that's what's going to make a difference. And the good thing about that was not only did Marlena make that statement, but Marlena lived up to that statement. When she did know, she asked questions. Yes, she and did. I, I think that is just a, a, a you know, just a wonderful uh, way of growing. And I'm going to cheat a little bit because Michael is here. And he would Yay. like to speak as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> the Million Man March. <laughs> yes. Good afternoon, you know, Kevin Garrett. I, I did. Do we have Peggy oh, or oh, Mike still on? Peggy, before you go, I wanted I wanted to ask you. You know, you you are part of uh, MCAC and led MCAC for a very long time. What stands out in your mind about that? And do you have any message to to Cheryl and the folks that are that you passed the torch now? You have any message to the folks that have taken the torch? I would say to them, Anthony, that the things that they're doing to keep doing them. Um, I, I think that the outreach is great. And as bad as this pandemic has been, I think that MCAC has had the opportunity to, to reach out to people who otherwise did not attend our sessions, even our midweek social. But this is an opportunity for them to be comfortable in their homes or wherever they are and get the message that MCAC has been imparting since 1986 when it was put into place. So I just say, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job. And I'm always going to be here until the Lord says otherwise. I'm going to be oh, right. <laughs> right here cheering you on and doing whatever I can to see that equity, inclusion, and diversity uh, is always a part of ACB because we're here and we're here to stay. We're going to continue doing what we do. Well, thank you Thanks, for everything Anthony. you've done and everything you're still doing and everything I know you're still going to do. Hey, Mike, welcome back to um, Sunday edition as well. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, Hi. Thanks for that. Hey, Sandra. I, 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 Pam, I didn't think you remembered that. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. How could I get it? That was a long time ago. But, but, <laughs> but, but, but I, guys, you've touched on so many so many issues today so many so many things that i, I could I, I i'd like to speak on but 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 i'm gonna give other people a chance so but i just wanted to say a couple of things and one is uh i'm sort of a, a big picture guy you know and i want to see i i i i think we we can address a number of different areas 
but I look for the commonality in us all. And the thing we have in, com in common, and I think you, you guys probably heard me say this last week, the thing we do have in common is our blindness. Mm -hmm. I never want to lose sight of that. No, no pun intended. <laughs> and I, I want, I want us to, I want us to always remember that that that's what we have in common. That's what we've come together to to advocate for the the quality of life for those of us who are blind or visually impaired. But on the other hand. We are a microcosm of the society. So all of these other issues, all of these other ethnic issues come up because when we leave the convention, when, leave, when we leave the meetings, we go back to our community. And, yep. the, and the same problems that the general public has, we experience those too. Sometimes even more so because we're blind and visually impaired. Yep. And, and so we bring all that back to ACB and, and it's a part of us. And I want to see our organization uh, take those things into account, help us in, in terms of our community uh, relationships and problems and those things. I think that's what Chris was was getting at should we advocate for for those things i think when those problems come up yes we should we should address them but never never forget that our main priority is to focus on the core areas that affect us as the people who are blind and visually impaired and we're anthony can i oh i'm sorry is it okay for me to ask a, the listener a question? Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So, Michael, herein lies, at least for me, the struggle. Absolutely. We are the American Council of the Blind. So that big picture is critical. Where I struggle, though, is even as a blind person within the experience of the American Council of the Blind, I have experienced racism. Right. I have experienced issues because I'm a woman. I have even experienced issues because I'm a Christian. So while I, I have all that, but yet I still see it there. You know, I, I, I say this historically because it's partially the kind of person I am. Even a pretty picture about how MCAC came into being or how I got on the board. There are parts of that picture that are not pretty. There were things that they were that were said directly to me and in my hearing. Okay? There have been things that have come down. So how then do I work within the kind of framework that you're I mean do do I ignore those things? Do, do I not question. fight for those things within our organization? You know, I got people saying to me things like, well, I don't see why racism would be, be an issue for blind people because you can't see. <laughs> okay. yes. And so I'm asking for your help. I mean, I'm putting laying myself out there. How do I still keep that picture, which I believe in, and yet still 
deal with the issues of when I'm walking in a hotel at a convention and I'm hearing people referring to the Multicultural Affairs Committee as a group of the N-word. Mm -hmm. Remember, we're still a microcosm of society. But I'm blind. (laughs) Go ahead, sorry. We're blind, but, but we're also Black, Hispanic, Asian, Native American. I mean, so so we bring all of that to ACB. Right. So so right. no, we cannot ignore those things because like you, I've 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 experienced that discrimination too. But Dr. King would say we've got to keep pushing. We've got to keep pushing. We we went to a play yesterday uh, about uh, Reverend Bill Lawson, William A. Lawson, who was who was a civil rights leader here in Houston, and that's what Dr. King told him to keep pushing. Pastor Lawson is about ninety two, ninety three years old now, but he came to Houston just for that reason to help the students at TSU develop the civil rights movement here in Houston in the 1960s. But Dr. King told him to keep pushing and he pushed and he pushed all of those years. And that's what we've got to do. It's education, it's persistence and intentional presence, be there. Like like Peggy said, we're here and we're gonna be here. Okay, and, and Michael, Anthony, no, do, you, do you mind Anthony, if I ask you questions? Go ahead. Who's this? This is Peggy. I, I I just wanted to jump in and just say say one thing in response to to Pam's question, and, and kind of piggyback on what Michael just said, and that is that racism is here to stay. It's never mm-hmm. ever I going to go away, and the only thing that we can do is continue to do what we have done, and that is to step up stand up and try to make a difference we're never going to get everybody on board they're always going to be people because it's it's in their hearts and you it's kind of like making a law you can change it legally but you can't change people's hearts and minds Mm -hmm. until they're ready to open their minds first so that their hearts can receive what their ears Mm -hmm. are hearing and i think that's the only way we can look at it make sure that we pass it on to the next generation to keep going what we've started, what we've done, because it's always going to be there. And Pam, you know what we do. We pray. That's right. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Okay. We pray, we serve. And one of the biggest things we do is we be a good role model of what we're seeking. Yeah. Okay. And that's the perfect segue. Um, Peggy, Mike, I would like to ask you, I I see, from the LGBTQ perspective, and I think I see it from from the various multicultural um, aspects as well. I see in our next generation, I see in our younger folks a complete difference. And and, and again, there's always you know exceptions to the rules, but I see that the generations behind us, you know, that are coming up are not struggling with these things the way my generation, and, and I, I know I'm a little bit younger than you guys are, 
um, and your generation are. So as we mentor, um, do we need to think just a little bit differently because these younger generations that are behind us and are one day and we need them, they're going to replace us. They have to replace us because I know I don't want to be 104 and doing Sunday edition, but I'm digressing. Um, is there a difference in approach with our younger members versus our established members? Well, I, I, I believe, Anthony, that we have to mentor, but in some ways we have to be mentored because it kind of goes back to what Pam Amen. was saying earlier, and that is listening to the language. I, I listen to my children and grandchildren, and, I, and I, I, I sit and I say, what did they say? Because I have no clue. <laughs> I don't have a clue sometimes. But I, I, I think, too, that there is still a group that's coming behind even your generation that is still being taught racism. They're still being taught white privilege. And so I think that even though a lot of them, are, the younger folks, are more accepting of change, and I just think that there's still, well, I know that there's still those who are being taught that same hatred. So I think that in if this world lasts, however long it lasts, I think there's it's always going to be around. I just pray that we do a good job of both mentoring as well as listening to those who are coming behind us to give them uh, not only our experience, but to listen and give them a little bit of guidance as to how they can incorporate what we've done with what they need to do. All right, before um, the Garretts go back to the other side of the platform, I have one more question for, for all four of you. Um, and it's, it's slightly sidebar, but I'm, I'm curious, and I think a lot of folks out there are curious, so hopefully we get a good conversation, small conversation. The word woke, what does that mean to you? Um, let's go Michael, Peggy, Pe uh, Pam, and then Sandra. Sandra, woke, what does that mean to you? I don't have a clue. <laughs> I've heard it used. It, I've heard it used in several different contexts, and every time I hear it, I'm 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 confused. Sometimes it's it's it appears that it's um, uh, somebody who's who's hip, or somebody who's sleep. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, in 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 my mind, it it means I've been asleep, and now I'm awake. I just, I, I woke up. I know there's a slang to it, but I have no clue. Pam? <laughs> You're not going to believe this, but my pastor started today a sermon series called Stay Woke. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I don't know. Ways, <laughs> you got it. You got it. And, and where he started today was yes, indeed, about staying awake, you know, and, and forgive me, but I can just only tell it as it is. It was talking about when Christ was with the disciples and he told them to stay awake while I go pray and watch him pray. Yes. Okay. Yes. So that's, that's, the, that's this today's sermon. And his yeah. point was that we had to stay not only awake, but we had to stay watchful. And yes. we couldn't do, yes. I didn't know this until he said it today, as often as I've read that story. He said he told him to stay awake because he found him asleep, right? He mm -hmm. goes back 
and they go back to sleep again. Okay? Yes. So yes. it's that staying on guard continuously so that we stay awake and that we have to stay awake to certain things, awake to ourselves, but also awake to others. As Peggy, you were talking about, you know, showing love and how we behave and respond and things like that. So next Sunday is Sermon 2. That's all I can tell you. I'd love for you to come back in in a few weeks and and do an update on this conversation. How about you, Sandra? Do you do you have any feelings She's on, younger, on she what? Should know. <laughs> they won't. Um, I, I, I think it is um stay alert. Just you know, um being awake and alert, like on point is my belief of what it means. All right. So folks, I know that this conversation is going to go past our actual airtime. So we're recording this in the podcast version. We're going to stay on after after we hit the three o'clock mark to make sure that everyone gets a chance to verbalize, to speak, to comment, question, whatever it may be. Um, but if you're listening on ACB radio, we're going to go off at three. You can join us by the Sunday edition links. Byron, who's up next? And thank you, Peggy and Michael. Thank you so much. Your perspective is really, really appreciated. All right. Byron, who's up? Coming up next, we have somebody who is simply called iPhone. iPhone, go ahead and uh, lower your uh, hand and unmute and feel free to ask your question. Would that be me? That would be you, yep. That's you, Margie. Hallelujah. Margie. Hey, Margie. Hey, y'all. I'm emotional. Um, I hate the word white privilege. I grew up poor. Me too, but it exists. I grew up with illiterate parents. I had no white privilege. Um, I like the conversation versus being spoken to. And I ask all of us in ACB, Let's quit counting who's not frickin' here. Let's count who is here. We're the ones that matter. We're the ones that hearts are open. We're willing to learn. Let's quit pointing fingers at those that are not here. First of all, we don't know who's not here because of ACB radio. And that is angering me to the max today because I show up to as many of these events because my heart is open. I remember in Sunday school, Jesus loves us. I've tried to live my life like that. The languages change. I may make a verbal mistake, but my heart and my mind are open. And um, um, I don't understand why so many Black people, African Americans, blame me for slavery. I was not on this earth. My grandmother wasn't on this earth. I'm sorry it happened. I have a lot of love and compassion. I am so sorry it happened. But I am not at fault of that. I am so sorry. I am not at fault. And I'm tired of that as a white person. And I want to say two more quick things. Um, or from black men. Thank you, Michael. You took the words out of my mouth that were a microcosm of the macrocosm. And prejudices around and it's going to live and it's watering down with generation after generation after generation. Um, 
I want to walk with you. I want to be a part of you. When I go to conventions, I see a group of black folk hanging out and I want to chat with them. I've often felt like I'm not welcome. I can say that about any group in ACB. And, you know, to learn, I want to be a part of, really want to be a part of. I'm so delighted about these events we've been having because much of them haven't been telling me how to live, how to act, what to say. I'm going to blow it, honey. But my heart and my mind are open. And I love all people that have an open mind, open heart, and are very accepting. But I, I'm just going to close with saying, as a blind person, I have very much white privilege, even as an adult, after I got educated. And that's my reality. And that's what I wanted to say. And thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Thank so you, I, I want to let so, him and Sandra... Um, respond to that, but I, I want to say something. Um, you can find the links to all of the various programming that's been put on these two months all over the place, and we made it a point to invite everyone personally who's part of ACB leadership. I thank Chris Bell. I know Ray is out there listening. There are people, uh, Dan Spoon reached out as well to say that he would be out there listening. Um, so the effort was made to make sure that everyone that's part of ACB leadership knew that this conversation was happening, as well as all of the Black history um, programming that has been put on, plus the George Floyd stuff, the Martin Luther King stuff. We did an amazing, amazing conversation around Dr. Marilyn Robinson, who gave an, a beautiful homily um, mm -hmm. in, in deference to Martin Luther King, because she walked with him. She advocated with him. She served him and Coretta. So, you know, it's, it, it's out there. It's here. Anybody can find it and anybody can participate. And our leadership were personally invited. So Pam, um, Sandra, I want to I wanna let you respond to what Margie was saying. Sandra, why don't you okay. go? Okay. So um, first, Margie, thank you for participating. Thank you for being an ally. Um, I've noticed you at, at most of the events and I... You know, I absolutely thank you for, um, you know, I, I thank you for participating. And I also thank you for having the courage to um, be your authentic self, you know, and, and um, when you don't feel welcome, okay, but you still come around, you still, you know, participate, you talk to people, you, um, I, I guess I would say, um, you know, not to take it personally. And I'm, you know, sorry you you don't uh, subscribe to the language, but um, white privilege is real. And sometimes it isn't even a matter of, you know, an actual, but you, you, you sometimes have the privilege just because you happen to be have born white, have been born white. Um, even if you don't necessarily have a great deal of money, you still are carrying the privilege. And and whether you know we could have that conversation all the time, but you still, in some way, are are benefiting from it. So, um, but I'm I'm very happy that you want to be an ally. Um, and I think it is important for us to 
you know, the, the cup is half full rather than half empty. And so you don't, but at the same time, um, I'm with Peggy in the sense of, I, I, I too wish that um, the conversation were larger and that, and that folks did show up, you know, because this, this is important. It affects the entire organization. And therefore, um, I, I, I do uh, wish that there was a better turnout. Now, we can all, we're doing what we need to do. We're having this conversation. We're taking definitive, making definitive steps toward a better tomorrow. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't acknowledge what's real and, and what yes. is here, who is here, and more importantly, who is not here. Pam? Go for it, Pam. Okay, thank you. Well, first of all, to Margie, my friend and my sister in so many ways, and we have been knowing each other for years now. So um, one thing about Margie and I, and I share this speaking directly to her, but also to everyone on the line. A, it is very important that we are honest and we are direct. And also that we recognize, and we saw it in Margie, that this is also a very emotional issue that we are discussing. And so many of us are also speaking from a place of passion and I hope from a place of love. I cannot control who shows up. I can't. But what I can do, and I think what was done here, is make sure that they know, that they are informed, it is ultimately their decision whether they come or do not come. But one of the things I've learned from years of planning, A, whoever shows up, However, your faith community, I can only speak from my perspective, is who God wanted to be here. And secondly, that even if that number is small, those people, based on what we're doing this afternoon, have the capacity to go out and reach others. When I was learning about marketing and sales, they told us that you may speak to 10 people in a day. But they had a theory that everybody could off the top of their head come up with 250 people. And so while it may appear at first glance that you're touching a small number, it's true. Believe me, you are making a difference. There's a ripple effect. I've gone back and listened to some things. And yes. so I think that's why we, we go with what Michael said is you keep on pushing. The other thing that Margie uh, mentioned that I think was so important is that there are times, and and here we go, something we've been talking about today, is where the language itself can be very confusing. Because so many people, when they hear white privilege, they go to economy or some other kinds of things. And so it's a broader term. We wouldn't, that could be a show all in itself, okay? But The reality is the more we talk to people, the more we listen, the more we have the the ability to say, hmm, I never thought about that. Relative to the apology for slavery, when I first came across this, and I've been coming across this for years because a lot of groups have insisted that there be apologies for slavery. And in the beginning, I didn't get it. But I think as I began to listen and understand what they were trying to say, sometimes we only get part of the, the message. 
Because for some groups, when they wanted the apology for slavery, they were also looking at the consequences thereof and the things that were still in our society because of slavery. I didn't know that until I went and listened, and then I better understood. Because it's not just an I'm sorry. Many groups have connected it to what you now continue to do because of slavery, or as Sandra was mentioning, you know, things we haven't even addressed yet. So I hope that helps. And, you know, buzz me up anytime, and we can have a great conversation, as we often do. Thank you. Before we go to the next hand, I actually, I want to expand on that just a tiny bit further in, and I invite Michael and Peggy, and I know Lisa's on here, so please unmute if if you have some comments on this, but I think that question needs to be, I think that question needs to be addressed just a tiny bit more, Um, and and I fully well, absolutely admit my white privilege. Um, I grew up (laughs) in New York, so no, I I do, I I do, it it is Mm -hmm. different for me than it is for the mm-hmm. partner that I live with um, in, in a lot of ways. Um, I grew up in New York and these issues, it, it, I didn't feel and, and understand these issues in junior high. I, I, I almost, almost didn't feel or understand them in high school because of where my geographic location was. Mm. Um, but it, to Margie's point for a second, my grandparents and, and, and my father came here they came here and built their life. So we have no connection to the act that happened of slavery. But then as I quote unquote became more and more woke, I understood the ramifications, the ripple effect. You throw that pebble in the pond and you're going to get layer after layer after layer of ripple. Oh, I may not be directly involved in the ripple effect. But because of the ripple effect, I have advantages. I have things that my brothers, my sisters, my friends, my family don't. And so I walk that line of where is, you know, where am, how am I supposed to feel about that ripple effect? And if I'm speaking on it, if I'm doing shows like this, if I'm writing articles, if I am standing in solidarity, is that enough? Or, or do I actually need to be apologetic? So, so Anthony, this is Peggy. And, and to kind of address what Margie said about feeling guilty, you know, I understand it to a certain extent, but I have never really felt like every white person is responsible for slavery. But I guess it kind of, to give an analogy to that is if, if someone in your family commits a crime that is really, really just uh, terrific, just heinous, yes. It's going to affect you to a certain extent. You had nothing to do with it. You weren't there. You didn't encourage it. You knew nothing about it. But there's a certain amount of discomfort or to some extent, even shame that is going to come with that just because this person was a member of your family. So while I understand it, I, I will also say, Margie, I've known you for a number of years. I've never known you to be racist. I've never known you to be hateful or mean to anyone. And mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure that in our group, when you come to us and you always, or I hope you've always felt welcome. Really? 
Uh, because we've never felt any other way about you. I can say that for myself, for Michael, and I believe I can say that on behalf of MCAC uh, for the years that I was there as well. So, you know, if if by chance anything that I've said or done came across that way to you, I hope you know and believe that it was totally never, ever, ever intentional. Because I I know you to be a genuine person and that what you say and do does come from your heart. So could I jump in in for just a minute? Or shall I sure this is Jane? Go ahead, Jane. Yes, yes, yes. So I want to backtrack to the word privilege a minute because I think we we sling it around or we take the weight on ourselves without defining it. And I think we have to be really careful to understand that privilege in the cultural sense says that you are better, you're right, you will be deferred to and created room for in any situation in which you find yourself. Well, I thought that for a long time and when I began to look at what happened to me as a person who was blind, I walk into some shops to go exploring and people follow me around to make sure that it's all good or I walk into a meeting and people are not comfortable until I am dealt with and in a spot out of their way out from under their feet that clued me that privilege is exactly what it is and why should I be offended if I have white privilege I need to know it's there and boy, we do need to know it's there so we can address it. Um, anyway, I just wanted to say that. I told this story on Sunday edition before, and I'm going to tell it again. Uh, we went to an outlet mall, a group of us. We all had just gotten our driver's licenses, and some of us had cars, and some of us didn't. But we were so excited. We went over bridges. We were on the expressway, and we were going all the way up to Westchester, New York, so we could go to the outlets. And we had a great day, all said and done. But I walked into a specific store, apart from certain other friends of mine who were of color, and they didn't bat an eyelash. I was carrying a backpack. I was doing my thing, shopping, looking for cute things that were going to make me all kinds of fly. And then my friends came in <laughs> and they, they had to, they had to check their backpack at the door and they were followed around the store. And, and that was one of the first experiences that I, that I realized that there was, there are differences. There are Anthony, absolute... Anthony, there's a lot of background noise right now. There's person. some feedback. Yeah, I'm yeah. to concentrate with that. Sorry, I, I was really trying to figure, I was trying to figure out who it was, but it's hard to tell. If you're not speaking, can you mute, mute your microphone? It's, it's still going on. Is it Jane? Okay, it's I'm going to mute, I'm gonna mute can Jane. You, can Sorry you mute about Jane? that, Jane. Yeah. Um. So you know that was the first, and then I went to I went to college in the, in the late '90s. Um, white privilege wasn't a word that you know it wasn't a mm-hmm. excuse my language it wasn't a term analogy that was used back then. But I felt it. I knew it. They didn't check my backpack. They they didn't follow me around the store. You know, and in fact, you know, I'll go so I'll go so far as to say, had I have slipped something in my pocket, they wouldn't have stopped me on the way out. They wouldn't have. And I know this. And so I don't do any. I come from poor. You know, my mom and dad, they were poor. <laughs> but I still have white privilege. 
it is it's ingrained and i don't apologize for it i i recognize it and i understand it that's just my own personal perspective but i i did want to kind of add that to the conversation i want to yeah. give uh peggy uh, peggy pam and sandra sandra a, a chance to to respond before we go to another hand and as we go off the air at three we're going to continue this conversation and it'll be recorded for the podcast um sandra, sandra. why don't you go ahead because i think i already spoke pretty much um and and basically what i was going to say is just acknowledging um that that is real it exists you know um, whether you you're you know apologetic or whatever, but but it absolutely is real, um, and so it's a matter of as I I've said before, having these conversations and being your authentic self, and um, like everybody else, Margie, you and I go way back, so <laughs> I, I hope that you have always. Um, I've extended, you know, the, the olive branch of friendship and we agree to disagree sometimes, but we are still friends and always will be. Margie, do you, do you want to respond back at all? Um, going once. But Anthony, thank you for I'm here. I am here. I am here. I want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I now have a better understanding of white privilege and I now will gotcha. never personalize it again. So thank yes. you. Beautiful. I really think this you, is see, a dialogue we need to have. See, yeah. this made all of this today, your one comment for me, Worth has it. made yep. all of you knew where I was going, Anthony. Yep. This for me is enough because if we have touched one person, now look what Margie, anybody who knows Margie, when Margie gets <laughs> on something, she's like an evangelist. Oh, <laughs> you know yes. So we <laughs> now know we already Margie. know that what the outcome <laughs> is going to be from just these few moments. So Margie, I thank you too. And I want to say to the five of you, I love you so much for doing the show and being yourselves. Thank you. Love you too. Thank you. All right. So we're going to continue to take hands as we go off air. If you are listening to the podcast version of this and you have questions, comments, suggestions, anything. And as Sandra said, you know, this is not February is the the salute. It is the opening of the door. We're going, you know, we're committed to bringing more programming um, to our ACB family throughout the year. So if you have questions, comments, suggestions along the way, I will make sure that it gets to where it needs to go to. Sunday edition, ac at gmail.com. The word Sunday edition, my initials, gmail.com. I'll make sure that everybody gets the appropriate comments, questions, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you so much for listening. Um, Sunday edition will be back next week with another great show. Absolutely. Thank you, Pam and and Sandra, for really putting yourselves out there for this conversation. Okay, Byron, take us out. You've been listening to Sunday edition with Anthony on ACB Radio Mainstream. For more information, questions, comments, feedback, suggestions, etc., please email celebrationac, that's the word celebration, with the letters ac at aol.com. Look forward to hearing from you, and let's brunch again next Sunday. 
All right, Byron, let's do a hand check. How many hands do we actually have up right now? Uh, looks like there are four or five here. All, All right. right. So we're, we're going to put about a 20 minute time kind of, we want to be respectful of everybody. It's Sunday. It's a holiday weekend. So Byron, who's up next? Looks like we got Cache. Cache, Hi. welcome back. Well, good afternoon, everyone. I um, want to say first and foremost, there was a lot of great information shared. Um, what I do want to say is one thing that was common um, that I heard in a lot of comments today was the word learned, 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 learning. And we know that learning is basically acquiring a knowledge of skills through our experiences, through studies, through, um, again, our life experiences where developing is just simply growth and maturity. And I think that the more that we understand that uh, racism and thought processes are learned and to start the process to doing better and making changes, we have to be willing to unlearn some of the things that we've learned over the yes. course of our days um we are not in the days of old of martin luther king where um people are are, are as resilient or disciplined and uh persevering we're looking at a, a youthful generation that just want results they're tired of hearing words they are tired of um hearing blank suggestions that are not moving past words they want action and that is where the phrase uh staying woke comes in because it is about being alert being attentive being aware of the you know having a sense or a level of consciousness to what is actually happening around us and that's what they want they want answers they want to see results for the things that they are currently seeing and experiencing. They don't want to be uh, resilient and disciplined to turn the other cheek. <laughs> you know, they're willing to be mentored, but they they want to see um, the people who serve us, the people who they partner with in organizations make changes, not just with their words, but with their actions. They are tired. And I can agree. I feel like as a person of color, um, we live in a country where people of color are always having to define who we are. White mm. America is white America. Why is it we have to keep going? Okay, when someone walks up to you and it's okay, black, African American, blah, 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 blah. Well, there is a list. No, we are black. We are people of color, but we are black. But why do we have to keep defining that? that those are the um, things that we constantly are faced with. And I I appreciate those who partner with us, who are allies. No, you were not um, the ones who were slave owners, but neither were we slaves, right? Mm. And we're Good asking point. for empathy. We're asking mm. for, uh, you, may not, you may not understand um, the plight in which we are faced. You may not, can't even identify with it the experiences that we have to endure and you may not understand the language, but be willing to have the conversations, be willing to just say, um, I don't understand, but I'm empathetic because guess what? I'm partnering with you. I'm, I'm, I, if you say that you care about me, then you have to show that as people of color, we're very attentive and very passionate. So no matter who's affected, we show up. 
we show up and we allow our voices to be heard. And, and we're just saying the same thing. When you see the signs of persecution and discrimination and segregation, those are still the things that we are faced with. We're not slaves, but we're still facing persecution. We're still facing discrimination. We're still facing segregation, not by slave owners. But by, those, still, yeah. but by the system that that allowed it to happen, that wow. allowed it to happen. And that is what we are tired of. And mm-hmm. a part of the language, and I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I can only speak for myself. A part of learning the language is, first of all, recognizing that we're human beings and we've yes. all made the mistakes of having conversations and saying folks. When people of color hear the word folks, it is demeaning. That's why it's always portrayed in movies, in conversations, in news. Learn the language. Uh, learn what we don't know. I think I heard somebody say, if you don't know, ask questions. Things that I don't know, I ask the questions. I research. I try to get understanding to the things that I know that I can be better. Oh, my God, Cache. First off, um, first off, thank you for <laughs> the raw, the, the absolute raw vulnerable. He can appear next week. I have to say, next I week, love next the word week. folks, and I did not know. I just learned. I did not. Next I love the word week. folks. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> And you Sunday know what, Anthony? One of I'm sorry. Wait for Sandra to finish. I'm sorry. Next next Sunday edition is going to be featuring Cash. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you, you I'll know, make one space. of the um, I sure will. God I want to take it because I, I really appreciate what Cat, what Cache just said because especially about the use of a term that may be considered an everyday term. Uh, by some people, but for me, it's racially insensitive. I don't like it when somebody calls me a gal. Oh, Ugh. me either. Me either. Well, I hate that. Okay. Word. Now, now <laughs> I know where that because from some of my friends who are white or who are in the south, they said, "But Pam, we call everybody a gal." I said, "But what I'm sharing yeah. with you is my personal right. issue, mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. challenge to you, and also a reminder that if I'm saying to you that's offensive to me, it's offensive to others as well." Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. and that becomes part of the challenge. I have stopped saying certain things once I realized that it hurt somebody. <clears throat> I didn't need it to hurt yep. a thousand people. If I hurt one person, I don't want to use that word. It isn't necessary. I mean, you, you know what I'm saying. It is There's not. Too many you know, other I want to. Yeah. Words in the English vocabulary. And to taking it back to something basic that says, we the people. Mm-hmm. We the people. We're humans. We're people. We're people. I can't change. I I cannot change being black, no matter whether I like it or not. I can't change if I was green, yellow, or blue. You know, mm-hmm. we are people. And I think the more that we understand that we're people and we all just want to be heard, we all want to be a part of what this country says that we can be a part of. I, I guess can I say the oh sorry the other thing that sometimes I struggle with too in this discussion, or even in my own world of dealing with this issue, is people who want to make a comparison between Ooh. being blind and being black. And for me, I'll just be this honest with you that at times for me, it feels as if 
it's minimizing the struggle or displaying a lack of understanding of the struggle. I, I don't, and I don't need to knock anybody down to make myself feel good. Let's start right there. Or or, Or try to change their experience to be equal, if you will, for lack of better language, to mine. I, I, I can respect the difference. I can respect now we do have commonality, but I can also respect different. I have never walked into a room as a blind black person and suddenly changed into a blind white person. Those things are still with me and they're still part of me. And I need to have those things understood and recognize we, we have differences. I, I don't say just go to all the commonality and throw the differences away because I think the differences right. are important. Yes. Excuse yes. me, you guys. Excuse me for one second. Um, unfortunately, I have a hard stop because I, I have an emergency that I need to attend to. So I'm going to have okay. to depart. All right. Okay. Thank you so much, Sandra. We'll talk in a, in a, you know, okay. in, during the week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Take care. And, and you know, Pam, Anthony, th- th- this yes. is Peggy. And just to uh, kind of piggyback on, on what Pam just said, I haven't been blind all of my life, but I've been black all of my life. <laughs> and I can tell you of situations where I was treated differently simply because I was, I was black. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was applying for a position after I got my master's degree at the University of Georgia and applying for a position at the University of Georgia in the human diversity and disability section mm-hmm. where I had been volunteering for many years. And I underlined the word volunteering but when I obtained my master's degree and applied for a position there, they hired a much younger, no experienced young white girl. So my volunteer time was fine, but with my degree, I wasn't good enough to, for the position. So that, that just gives you just one example of yeah. blackness and and you know that has nothing to do with being blind but when you're female black and blind that's a whole a nother t- ball of wax Honey, <laughs> <laughs> all right byron let's let's see how many more hands are there oh wow um we have several so let's see one two three i'm four, gonna four. ask folks to I'm going to ask folks to try as best as possible to keep it brief. We want to be respectful. Sandra had to go. And and I'm sure Pam has got a lot of stuff on her plate. So please, here we go. Who's next? All right. Um, And just a quick uh, comment. Um, One of the things that I'm trying really hard to do is not make it my friend's job to educate me. Um, I just learned today that the word folks is offensive for some reason. And I Googled it. I Googled it to to try and figure that out. Could have asked, hey, why is that offensive? And made it somebody else's job. But, you know, um, they they have other things that they'd rather be doing rather than educating you. So Google it. (laughs) I plan on on Googling it as soon as we're done because I use folks all the time. And and if I ever unintentionally hurt somebody, I am so sorry. Mm -hmm. Byron, who's up? Me too, yeah. All right. uh, Melody is next. Hi, forgive me for speaking again. I was going to speak to white privilege, but I'm going to withhold that because it would take longer than we've got. When 
the the fact that you know someone might be black all their lives and have lost vision I was blind before anything else happened to me even before I came out before any additional things happened I find that that is such a focus and it's what can be seen and nothing else especially because I'm white and 410 and sometimes I'm not seeing the cashier line but because that is seen right away I'm not always getting treatment I'm not always successful in local LGBT advocacy organizations because it's automatically you've got no eyes and a white cane in your hands so does anyone find losing vision later in life or coming out later in life or being gaining an additional diagnosis is visual impairment or is your race or whatever was going on first that people automatically knew about? Is that often a main focus in daily life for you? I think can this I, is possible. Can I jump in there? I'm sorry. All right, I'm going to, I can definitely answer that. Okay. So <laughs> I, I can't, I, I lost my eyesight. March will be six years. And I have been advocating in the LGBTQ space since I'm 17 years old. And the game completely changed when I lost my eyesight. I don't like it. I fight against it every day. I try to ignore it. I try to live within the parameters of it. But absolutely, the game changed immediately when I lost my sight. Anybody else have a comment? I do. Okay, go ahead. Uh, this is Cache. I I don't I I can't say that um it is very fair to put blindness over um a person's color. What I will say is that when, no matter what uh, environment you're in, when you walk into a room, other people only see what is different from them. Thank you. Yep. And to be fair, I don't think Melody was trying to place it over. I think she was saying that it gets lost in the shuffle because the first thing and the thing that they glom onto and stay on is you're blind. Oh, you can't see. Oh, you're going to need extra help. Oh, how are you going to go to the march? Well, I'm going to march with my god dog just like I did when I had eyes. I'm good. Don't worry about it. I I think what I would like to share is that um, for me, and and I, I think about this a lot, is that when I go into a room or wherever I go, what do people really react to first? Mm -hmm. And I have learned that it may depend on the environment, Mm -hmm. okay? Because I I know that some people, it will be the blindness, but some people, it will be the color of my skin. Mm -hmm. Some people, it will be my gender. And Mm -hmm. I have a fourth one that very few people use. Sometimes it's just me. Okay, it's just mm-hmm. yes. yes. That yes. We do sometimes <laughs> rub people in ways that don't react hey. the same way we think they're gonna react. Exactly. Yes. And so, you, but what I yes. can say to you, what I can say to you, is, and I, I am one of those people differently than almost everybody on today. I've been blind since birth, and what I can say to you is, I have had enough experience. Mm-hmm. And enough yeses and noes that believe it or not, I can tell what they're reacting to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I can tell. Mm-hmm. So it could right, be Byron. any of the above. Absolutely, Byron. Who's up? All right, come on. I'm not trying to be have... disrespectful. I'm just trying to keep it, you know. No, no, no. And can we maybe get the people who haven't had a chance to speak yet? Because I want to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. So Lisa is next. Hey, Lisa. Welcome. Hi. Hi, Pam. How are you? Hey, Lily. <laughs> um, awesome, 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 awesome conversation. And you know my word is unapologetically me. 
and that's who I'm going to be. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and um, I just feel like the people that aren't here that air quote should be here are uncomfortable having the conversation and we need to learn how to get more comfortable with it because it needs to be had because it's in our faces. It has never been in our faces more than it is right now. Yeah. And we need to address it. We need to eat it. We need to swallow it. And we need to learn how to move on from it. And I feel that having conversations like this on a more uh, consistent basis would be a fantastic start. So thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Lisa, I got to tell you, I, I, you know, you won last night, so I have the email. We want you in BPI. I am going to aggressively try to convince you to be an ally or whatever kind of member of BPI you want to be. But that's besides the point. I'll be talking to you. And thank you. Thank How you. How did for she win? And I was on the team and I didn't get nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody better send me an audio described hidden figures or else. You know what? I'm going to send you one just because I love you. (laughs) Hey, Pam. Ever since I've been in ACB, because I I lost my sight um, four years ago. Um, I Unfortunately, I got shot, and that's how I lost my sight. Mm. It was abrupt. You know what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. finding ACB and trying to find my way to try to find people that were like-minded like me, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I was kind of lost in the beginning, you know, so I think Mm -hmm. that this is phenomenal and fantastic and anthony yes anything you want me to do i will do my brother for sure love it love you right love you right right. back my sister all right all right byron (laughs) who's up all right terry is next hey terry hey there um welcome welcome (laughs) welcome i hope you heard me plug in our digest which will be coming out this week but go on (laughs) i did um, I don't know, I've, I've had this running dialogue with my iPad through this whole conversation, it seems. Uh, you know, we started up, we started out on ACB Media and then I said, no, I got to get into this and we came in on the iPad. So I do know that there are people listening on ACB Media today mm-hmm. and there's probably at least twice as many as there were on the call. Um, but I think a couple of things I wanted to say and one of them is I think that what, what, what concerns me, I guess, is that more than anything else, I feel like we're getting to a point of that we're creating more segregation and more discrimination today than we have in the past. And I'm not talking ACB, I'm talking in general. Um, And I don't want to see, I really don't want to see that happen within ACB, especially. I know I've grown up in a kind of a mixed situation in that I have, at least I hope, um, I I know several of you on this call and have known many of you for too many years to count. And I hope I have never offended anyone. I've always tended to take people, people first, who they are. Um, There's a couple of people on this call who I knew pretty well before I even knew what color their skin was. Um, And and I know there are other people who 
have been in that same situation. I think we all have some pretty horrific backgrounds in history. Um, I do think that there is some white privilege. I think that it's perhaps being a little overdone in some, in some areas. Um, but I think the other thing that we have to, unfortunately, we have to look at is, it's interesting, we have the MCAC. The MCAC does not include any cultures, any of the other cultures, the Northern Europe, any of the Northern European cultures that are totally different from one another. I mean, the Irish and the Norwegians are about as different as, as the French and the Greeks. <laughs> no, actually, I was, I, no, I'm trying to say um, uh, Ethiopians. I couldn't get it out. I kept saying Ecuadorians. <laughs> Well, they're as different as the Ecuadorians too, girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that that's something that I just, I, I think that it's important for all of us to be able to mix and to, and to share in each other's culture. And that's, I, 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 I feel like I, I just, I don't want to see us get so into putting each putting everybody in a box. You know, you're Black, you're uh, Pacific Islander, you're white. Um, white is one heck of a big group of different cultures group, as well. Mm -hmm. it, it, no, but it's a big group of different cultures as well. Yeah. And we're not, sure, and, sure. you know, and, you know that, that some of that maybe should be included in MCAC. Um, and, and I say this because I do tend to look at people for, as people first. I've been discriminated against. We've all been discriminated against. We've all been discriminated against as, as far as our vision or our, our blindness or what have you is concerned. I've been discriminated against on my, on my color because I'm white. I went into a store recently and they had a big fight because none of them wanted to wait on me um, and because I was white, period. Um, you know, that we need to be careful and be open to one another. And I just want to see that continue, especially within ACB, because we've got yeah. so many issues yeah. to deal with. Yeah. And I think that that's important. And as I say, I don't know, maybe I'm just, what's ironic about it is there's parts of my family that are quite racist, but a lot of it's been because we've been in, very difficult situations in the past. I have, I have, I have two relatives who were murdered, and I have. I know what it's like to have the police come to your front door to get your mother because your father, who's a cop, has been injured and he's up in the hospital. I had that happen, you know. And and ironically, that one wasn't a, a person of color, um, but. A lot of other things were. The, my cousin who was burned to death in his car during the riots back in the 60s in Boston, he was white. The ones who burned him to death weren't. That's going to leave, that leaves a permanent scar. And it's yeah. so hard to overcome those scars. But I think that if we work together, we really can at least soothe them. I'm not sure. It, that it it 
it's going to take multiple generations, I think, to get rid of some of those. But those Absolutely. things, you know, they do happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Terry, and that's all. Things, I guess that's I'm all sorry. I'm going to say. Terry, one of the things I, I thought about as you were speaking is something that all of us can relate to, and that often is some type of a trauma. You know, where something bad has happened, it's been horrible, and it has left scars. One of the things that I would would mention was, first of all, as I said earlier, historically it was about um, the five groups that were quote-unquote in this country. Now if you tried to do that, it would be a very different world because we Mm -hmm. have more cultures now (laughs) reflected in our country. But I think Mm. the thing that I would hear from from people in ACB – you know, black people, I would hear, was the desire to get together because of a shared experience and shared culture. You know, it wasn't like to separate off and never speak and and to elevate a group or anything like that. It was, it sure is nice to just talk to another person who's blind, who has had some of the experiences that I've had or who, who we can talk about food. We could talk about soul foods, you know, that kind of a thing. So that's what I often saw as the plus. And also, as I listened to many of you today who mentioned, you haven't been blind all that long. And so needing to reach out in ways that you have lived before and to meet those people who maybe have been blind before or have other experiences, and that what you talk about often is a shared experience. And I think that for me, has been yeah. part of what I've heard. I think that's, you know, that's a good point. I think that has a lot to do with, mm-hmm. you know, with so many of our affiliates, of, mm-hmm. of the affiliates yeah. as opposed to MCA, not opposed to, but in, in different. In addition to, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, Anthony has, does not have the experience that you and I have. Mm-hmm. Um, no, and it's absolutely got nothing not. To do with, and that has nothing to do with race or, or right. gender. Um, right. at all um, right. he's a newbie <laughs> I am I'm a, ba- I'm a baby as far as this is concerned <laughs> you know I-, I was thinking while you were speaking Terry white privilege was, was used a lot in the conversation today and I realized I'm also very geographically privileged um, when, I- when I was in junior mm-hmm. high school which is you know six to nine um, we had a week every year <laughs> it was the multi- multicultural week and you know folks Oh God, I can't use that word anymore. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> See, that's, bring, that's a word, though. No. <laughs> we would bring in food from from our culture. Now I'm Italian, so you know what I brought in. I brought in manicotti. I brought in lasagna, and of course, every single week, every single year, there was meatballs. Um, <laughs> but I, I realized, young at, at an age, you know, at that age, that the experiences from somebody who's from Nigeria is completely and utterly different from somebody who's from Haiti. And, and, and I've been reinforced recently because of, of my Gabriel that the Hispanic culture is not one culture. It's a conglomeration of, of so, you know, the Cuban culture, the, the Peruvian, the Venezuelan, the Honduran, where, where you know, my Gabriel is from, is so different from Guatemala, who is just, they, they share a border, but the culture is different. Um, yeah. geographically, I'm very lucky because I, I, I experienced all that in school growing up. Um, but you know, there are places in this country that unfortunately are all just one kind of folk. 
I'm sorry, but I'll come up with a better word along the way. But you, well, you know, you know what? And, and you don't see and feel any of this. Gotcha. But well, coming from New York, I didn't understand that. Even in college, I, I went to, to Hofstra in, in Long Island. Hmm. So even, and that was a, an international university. That was, we had hmm. folks from, every, oh God. But we had people who have came from all around the world. So it, it wasn't until I was sent on a job to go live in Dallas for a little while that I was like, oh, this is what people are talking about. I didn't feel this or experience this very much growing up, but now I see now I understand, you know, yeah. not every place is New York. And, and that holds true almost anywhere. I was working in Louisiana for a short time and it was like a total culture shock to me um, yeah. in, in a lot of ways. Unfortunately, uh, mostly racially, um, the, 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 the differences in opinions. Um, I could see a major difference between that and New England. Um, but I think you're right. I think that there's, you know, the, and, and that's one of the beautiful things about this country is that this country was meant to be a melting pot. And we need to, and, and we should be ta- sharing and we need, taking from We one need another. to keep continuously stirring that pot, though. That's the thing. Hello. We do. And, and pay attention to the ingredients. When you stir a pot, you're keeping things, you're mixing things together. You're not keeping them separate. And that's what's really, really important. Thank you, Terry. I'm going to have to leave shortly, but one, I'm sorry. Let's do two more hands and then be done. Okay. Okay. If that's okay. Is that okay, Pam? We'll do two more. Yeah. uh Uh-huh. All right, Byron, who's next? Okay. Coming up next is uh, Cheryl. Hi, Cheryl. Hi, Good I, I've been here for the whole two hours and some. Yes, and patiently um, waiting with that hand up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I mean, I, I don't have like much to say because so much has been said and it's a lot to think about. Um, but I just wanted to say, you know, thank you to Anthony, Sandra and Pam mm-hmm. for holding this discussion because I think in its own way, it reflects change that's happening within ACB because not only does, uh, does it sort of have a different conversation than I think, um, you know, Dan and I had when we held our town hall and that MCAC will have as it moves forward and holds other opening uh, open meetings. Um, so I, I want to thank you guys. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's so important that there are different voices, different perspectives. And um, I'm, I'm grateful that you are excited to share those with everyone in ACB. So that's it. Thank you, Cheryl. And thank you for your leadership as well. Absolutely. And Cheryl, you know how much I love and want to support you as a person, you as my friend, and you as the, the chair of MCAC. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Absolutely. All right, everyone. Thank you so much, Byron. As always, thank you, thank you, thank you, Pam. Oh my God, thank you. <laughs> this has been wonderful. Thank you, and stay tuned, as we say. Okay, stay tuned. <laughs> Byron, do you want me to um, email you when I get the when I get the file? Yes, please. Okay, All I'm right. going to close it out. Have a good, good night, everybody. Have a good Sunday, everyone. Thank you. Thanks again. Take care, everybody. Bye bye.
Bye. Take care, Pam.